We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded and produced, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded and this area's original name was Nam. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Damn! We're in a tight spot! Welcome to Music Town. My service you? Great Scott! It'll never be enough! I only want to hear Yaya Ding Dong! Ah, oh, as if! Dignity. Always dignity. You're listening to You Watched What? I'm Kate. And I'm Amy. Every episode we watch a movie, discuss the movie, and gossip and stories that have sprung up around that movie. How you going, Amy? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm all right. What have you been watching this week? What have I been watching this week? That's a good question. Oh, I finally took your advice and caught up on Fisk. Oh, yes. Smashed through all the episodes that are on iView. I haven't seen the, the last this last week's episode. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. I really, really like it. Kitty Flanagan is great. I love her. And yeah, she's so funny. Mm. My favourite thing about the show is the beautifully fake idea that there's only one decent coffee shop on Errol Street. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, I know. You're in Melbourne. That's just no, not a like thing. Literally Every one second store will be a coffee shop <laughs> and be beautiful. Yeah. So this week we finished watching um, Superstore in Ooh. our house. We actually finished season five that was on Netflix. We were watching it on Netflix and we finished season five and at the end of it my middle child burst into tears Ooh. because they didn't have season six on Netflix. Ooh. And so we got binge oh this my week. God. Another. Purely, I know, another a streaming service. Purely so we could watch season six of Superstore. This is the season that just finished airing in yeah, the US. Just yeah, just finished airing in the US. Look, I know I bang on about this show a little bit, but it's just such a great comedy that you can also just cry in some episodes. Mm. Like I think it's just so it shows that it's so well done that you can be laughing, mm. but you also have such a connection to these characters that when something happens to them, it's really emotive and you you ha- you cry. And so at the end of season 6, we had a big cry again. It was, it, was, it was a nice way to wrap it up. But so we've watched Superstore. But because we got binge, I've been able to watch a lot of true crime stuff because there's a lot of true crime on binge, oh, cool. which I didn't know about. And Australian true crime as well. Like it's a bit more exciting than, you know, I was going to say regular true crime. That's a bit American, American true, true crime. crime. Just because it's a little bit more, as you would know, mm-hmm. It, you can just relate more. Well, I don't know if relating's the right word, but it, it just you have the places more, that it yeah. happens, especially the ones in Victoria. You've got a connection to, I guess. Yeah, you've got. Or we've got a, a memory of when it actually happened. Yeah, there's context. Yeah, so that's been really interesting. But I actually watched um, Murder on Middle Beach. I don't know This that. week, which Whoa. is one, it's a, a murder that happened in Connecticut. So it's not Australian. This is a, mm-hmm. an American one. And it's a four-part documentary that was made by Madison Hamburg, who is the son of the woman murdered. Ooh. Um, it's still unsolved. 
Those are very interesting, though. Yeah, and there were. It's real. Go and watch it. It's really. It's really interesting. There's a few key players. If you've got binge, it's definitely one to put on the list if you like true crime. But oh, cool. it was really, really interesting, and re- I think really. Um, Really touching because it's it's really personal for yeah. the documentary maker. Yeah, I like he's, that he's a, a lot. little. He's a little bit of a stud. He's oh, a bit cute okay. too. <laughs> no, I like that in true crime. I think it's really important when it's really important that they don't lose sight of the victim and humanizing the victim. Mm. It doesn't just become a bit of a sideshow about. I think that's one of the things that I um, get out of unsolved cases mm-hmm. a lot that you really do get to focus on the victim and, and their family yeah, and, and the not, impact they had in, in life. Yes. Not just focusing on... Who did it. Yeah. And how crazy they were. Yeah. And why they did it. Yeah, it's it's really about about her and, and the, the struggles that she had through life and because of certain things going on in her life, there are a few kind of possibilities of why it happened. Fascinating. Um, it is. It's really, really fascinating. Cool. It's worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch. Awesome. What have you been watching besides Fisk? I've been watching a lot of animation. Uh-huh. Um, a couple of new shows that dropped on Netflix. City of Ghosts. It's aimed at children, but mm-hmm. I've been hearing that it's really good and it is beautifully animated. Really quite realistic backgrounds, but a very sort of soft, pastely vibe. It's a small group of children who are investigating ghosts in their hometown of LA where the children investigate the ghosts, meet the ghosts and then interview the ghosts about why they're haunting in that particular spot. And they learn about the different neighbourhoods of LA and different people who've lived there and communities that have lived in LA through that. Six episodes, very easy to just blast through very quickly. Super charming and sweet and I think I would strongly recommend for kids but – um, I really enjoy animation and I really like seeing different animation styles. And yes. so it was it was beautiful. Like it's just a very pretty oh, gorgeous show. To watch that sounds good. Yeah, highly recommend it for the kids. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so this week we both watched Strictly Ballroom. Yeah. The great Australian classic from ninety two. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Um We've both seen it countless times. Yes. So we, bo- I don't need to ask if you liked it because I'm pretty sure mm. the answer is yes. I know, yes. know that you liked it. <laughs> um, I think that for me this is probably the most quotable movie in my life mm. and it became really apparent when I was watching it again because when I watch a movie for, for our podcast, I like to just write down quotes that really resonate with me and especially with movies that I haven't seen before. Um, I don't take a lot of notes. I kind of just write down the quotes that I kind of think, oh, that's an interesting kind of – I like where that's going or why they've said that. And I found – watching this, I was like pretty much writing the script down (laughs) because I wanted to get all of the quotes down because I love every single line that has been said and I can recite every line. And I was watching it with um, a couple of my kids and one of them said, oh, you're writing lots down, mum. And I was like, oh, I am. I need to – I can't write every single line down about the movie. I just – it's too much. Stop. 
just write down the really important ones, but they're all so important. Yes. All the lines are so important. There's so many good lines. I think it was one of the first movies I saw that really caught that Australian, the Australian vernacular, like how we talk. Yes. How, or how a lot of us talk. Um, and hearing really strong Australian accents, mm-hmm. like you and I, listening back as I do the edits for these episodes, oh, we've got some strong Australian yeah, accents. Yeah, we're a bit ochre. We're, look, a little bit. But I think this was – this. I think I would have been 13 you would have been, yeah, you know, 11. Yeah, I think I was 11. 11. Yeah, when we went and saw it in the cinema when it came out in 92. And I don't think I'd ever seen anything that felt – as Australian. Yeah. I hadn't I, heard those accents yeah, on screen before. I, it would probably be the first Australian film that we well, I saw at the, the movies. Yeah, maybe. And possibly the first kind of Australian oh, besides the mini series, the Cheryl Lee, which I was obsessed with on <laughs> that was on T V. Well we had But um Yeah. There wasn't many other Australian movies that we watched that I can think of off the top of my head because I don't I know I haven't seen Crocodile Dundee so I know that that wasn't one that Mm. was that people always bring up yeah the castle wasn't around yet what was the one that I know we watched it at our friend's place that lived up the road from us Mm. I can't remember the name of it um it had Yahoo Sirius in it oh Young Einstein yes did we I don't was that before or I'm going to look it up. I wonder if that was before or after. Young Einstein was 1988, so we were probably a okay. little young for it when it came out. And yeah. I know we didn't go and see it in the cinema. No. no. I remember seeing it at, at our friend's place, like on yeah. VHS. It's not that there's a lack of great Australian films before 92. There's definitely um, some, some amazing movies. Picnic at Hanging Rock, I've seen a few yes. times since then and is incredible. But again... I hadn't seen it at that point yeah. in time. No. It wasn't age appropriate yeah, for a 12-year-old. No. So, yeah, this was a, a bit of a breakthrough to see an Australian movie, not a soap, not TV, mm. but to see lives that look kind of familiar and, and definitely sounded familiar with the the way people speak, yes. the, that, that, that accent, but done in that very hyper-real style with the, the over-the-top costuming of, of the ballroom mm. world, the way that they used costuming the costuming choices were incredible yes the way they use that kind of performance style color coding of characters yeah which is a hundred percent what you do in dance in dances and in dance schools or I guess it's a ballroom thing as well I don't Mm, know I'm not a ballroom person but I don't know whether that is a thing in ballroom that they have colors that they well, it's human nature. You've got colours that you love and gravitate towards. So yeah. I guess that may happen in a way. But I know um, putting on productions for kids and for for when you're thinking of your audience, you make it really easy um, and say like if you were doing families, this family is the blue family, this family is the pink family and it kind of – makes it really, really coherent for um, the audience to see and understand who belongs to who um, and it makes it so easy and it's just, it was great that they did that. It actually started off as just a play at um, NIDA that Baz was directing at NIDA and it was kind of based on his life um, as a doing ballroom comps when he was younger and his mum was a dance teacher. So then you kind of think, well, is Shirley 
really based on is Shirley his a version mom. of his mum? Sorry, I was looking for notes about the costume designers. Um, Angus Strathy did the ballroom costumes, and Catherine Martin was the production designer mm-hmm. and did the street costumes. This was both their first credit as costume yeah, designers, wow. and they went on. They've worked with Baz Luhrmann a lot. Catherine Martin is his wife, and they've won Oscars for Moulin Rouge. Mm. But thinking this is their first movie as costumers, to hit it out of the park like yeah, that. Yeah, amazing. I know that it took over um, 5,000 hours for the <sighs> costumes to be made, and that's not surprising. Like I mm. make costumes out of – very tiny scale compared to to this. Yeah, you're not using feathers it, like that. Yeah, no, and it does. It takes hours and hours and hours. Sewing just takes hours. And even just cutting out costumes takes hours. So I can imagine that it was huge. Yeah, the co- I could talk the about costumes the costumes on just, this all day. Just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I know even like um, my girls watching it were just like, oh, look at that first scene. So we opened the movie and – we see beautiful silhouettes of yep. of the men kind of warming up and getting ready to come on. And then you see Liz come on and um, he's fluffing up her skirt as she spins and then she comes out and my girls were just like, oh, wow. Yeah. And just all of the, the costumes were just – I love that they got the same experience that I had when I was 11 and seeing those costumes for the first time. Yep. And, you know – growing up in a dance school as well and kind of being really jealous. Like, oh, why doesn't my costumes look like that? (laughs) I know. I think I talked about this when we were talking about your comfort movies. I didn't really want to go and see it. I thought from, I guess, the poster that it looked daggy. I was 13, you know, and I was just being 13. Everything's daggy to you then when you're 13. Exactly. If your parents are into it and want to see it and, you know, oh, my goodness, showing an emotion about something, oh, no, we can't have that. And I, was, I remember being sucked in immediately and realising very, very quickly that I loved this movie, that it was like I was enjoying it so much that it was beautiful and it was not what I expected. And then we cut into an interview style, mockumentary yeah. style You know what? Shot. I only realised for the, the first time, and it was probably because I was analysing the movie in a different way, even though I've seen this movie, I reckon, upwards of 50 times. Oh, my God. Uh, I know it line for line. Well, I felt that I knew it really really well but then when you've got to kind of look at it in a different light because you know you're actually going to sit down and talk about it Mm. I found it really interesting and it's never bothered me and it doesn't bother me now but I find it an interesting choice to start the movie off as a mockumentary Mm. kind of style but that only lasts for maybe the first 15 minutes yeah and then there's no more face to camera kind of interviewing no talking we, we pieces. move into a very naturalistic yeah. style after that it's interesting again at that age seeing it the first time i don't think i'd any seen anything that used that style yeah no in, i think in, it was the first time i would have seen it too certainly not in such a sophisticated way and i'm impressed now going back and rewatching it after having watched it not that many times but certainly a handful of times across the years for a first-time director, that was such a sophisticated use of that. Yeah, and and I think really interesting that it wasn't a big deal that it starts off doing that mm. and then it doesn't happen again. No, I thought and about it this time only because yeah. I knew we were going to talk it's about it. I was sa- like, same. oh, yeah, and it you're does like, that and it, then it just goes and you don't notice it. Yeah. yeah, and you don't think about it again. No. You don't miss it. 
it works really well at the start because there's some cracker lines in that from Shirley. Yeah. Some great, great stuff comes out of those interviews. It's, it sets things up really fast. It and does. I, guess I, would, I would love to know if that was, if, if some of that direct breaking the fourth wall talking to the audience happened in the play version. I know. It's one of my big regrets is that when it was here in Melbourne, I didn't go oh, and damn. see it. I had really young babies when it was out and I just, it was a time of my life that I just couldn't even see how that would work. I may yeah. even have been had a young baby and heavily pregnant <laughs> at the time. Um so it just was that came out at a time in my life that I just couldn't make it happen. Yeah. And I really it upsets me to think that um I didn't see it, but I'm sure it's one of those ones I'm sure that one day it'll it'll be revived again and we'll yeah, get to go and so. see it. Yeah. So yeah, so we have the mockumentary part and then which is great. We will talk about we will continue to talk about Pat Thompson as Shirley Hastings throughout oh, she's this. She's just she is a the gift. Best. She is a gift in this. And the fact that she died before the film came out and oh. this is a very selfish view as an audience member, but her early death really I feel robbed of I so do many too. amazing performances. And I remember being um feeling really devastated when I found out yeah. after the fact. Obviously I'd seen the movie yeah. and then I think I actually think we were away on holidays. I kind of vividly remember being in a caravan and mum well, saying, we were Oh, in no. a caravan a lot as a child. <laughs> and then so. mum saying, Oh, no, she, she passed away. And then just being yeah. like, Really like, Oh. Because she's so good in this and she's such, she's so alive as a character. She's, she, her, her performance is incredible. Well, she's just she got gets the best be, one liners of the whole thing. She gets to have those big dramatic lines and screaming moments. She gets to go really big. And then you have little cuts where she's doing like very small expressions on her face. Like mm. she, she, the range. Yeah. She has the she's range. She's so good. And I was telling my eldest daughter last night how even when I was an 11 year old at the movies, I was obsessed with this woman. It was like <laughs> I made a choice in my brain then at 11 and and said, that's who I want to be when I am older. It explains a lot of your leotard choices <laughs> now that I think about it. I know. And then I said to my daughter, I said, can you see that in me? And she said, <laughs> she goes, yes, you can be very dramatic. And I'm a dance teacher and I wear... Oh no, leotards I like that, a and I love a unitard with a skirt over the top, and mm-hmm. I love a big statement, clunky, plasticky, beady earring. Mm. Um, and I am a little bit dramatic when I'm teaching. <laughs> having heard a couple of the stories you've told of teaching, and having seen you backstage at performances yeah I see it I definitely see it in some of your leotard choices so maybe it wasn't a maybe it wasn't a choice that I looked at her and thought that's how I want to be maybe I just knew that that's how I would end up and she just resonated with me already (laughs) you recognized yourself in her maybe or maybe just like a duckling but she also at the time reminded me of my dance teacher whose name was also Shirley and I think she was also very similar to Shirley in in a lot of ways, so um, she, yeah, 
So the very so yeah. let's go back to to the start where yes. our it starts off with there's a curtain closed curtain so it is very much like a performance yes so we know that this is gonna it's all about performance and the curtain opens it's gonna be and heightened we, it's gonna be over see, the top yeah we see the silhouettes and then we see Liz in her beautiful yellow dress and then they come on and the very first line is come on couple one hundred and it comes oh no just I think it's just actually. Come on, one, come on, a hundred, or something yeah. like that. And it shows you the real spirit of ballroom dancing. I've never been to a ballroom dancing competition. No, um, neither have I. I've seen them on TV. Yes. Um, and I just wonder if that's what it's like, if people are there just like cheering like it's the footy. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny that it is an art. It's, well, they, and they mentioned dance sports a few times. It's, a, it's competitive. It's both art and sport mm. and it does feel like, yeah, people barracking yeah. really aggressively over the Blue Danube waltz playing. Yes, and it's beautiful. And then we cut into the, doc, um, the, the documentary style, mockumentary mm. style stuff and we see Shirley and then we are introduced to Barry Fife. Now, Bill Hunter, Bill, he's just a legend yes. and another one that was so sad when he passed away but because he's, he's in such, he's in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. He's just a gem. Yeah. He's, he's in a, so many things from our childhood. An absolute titan. A few times when I was a student, I would see him around Carlton. Mm-hmm. I, th- I don't know if he was having meetings around there or if he lived around there with the big hat Pretty tall. Oh my god, big he was presence. he was a movie star. Yeah. yeah, big presence. So you'll be interested to hear this, Kate. So Barry Fife comes on screen. Yes. And my youngest, who is only six, um, looks at him and says, Oh my God, it's Donald Trump. <laughs> and I went, Oh my God. It kind, it of, kind is. of is. He is over tanned. He has a toupee on. Mm. He's got the same kind of shaped face. He's got that little bit of sleaze and mm. grossness and sweatiness about him. And this self-satisfaction, not necessarily based on quality or skill, yes. but just this I've managed belief. To, I've managed to make my way to the top and be in charge. Yes. And I've got this kind of vibe about me. Bully. And I was just like, oh, my God, it is. It's it Donald is. Trump. Oh, yes. No. This- so maybe Donald Trump looked at Strictly Boring <laughs> like I, and, and like me with Shirley just saw himself in Barry Five. And went for it. Or maybe Bill Hunter looked at, at Trump types and went, I understand this character. Yes. This is where I need to take it. Yes. No. Isn't that a great comparison though? And one yeah. that I, because I've seen the movie so much, I don't see stuff like that. I see Barry Fife. I see Barry Fife. Yeah. Where fresh young eyes who has spent her whole life pretty much having to hear and see Donald Trump. Yeah. Looks at this man and goes, ugh, he's like Donald Trump. Yeah, he is. There's that, that he's a bully. Yes. So then our next scene is um, the samba. Yes. And this is where it all starts to spiral out of control for our, our main character, Scott, yeah. because he, him and Liz are dancing, doing a beautiful samba, and they become boxed in by Ken Railings and Pam Short. And Can I, I just l- say- love this scene so much because I love the fuck off kind of thing going under people's breaths yeah. and get out of my way kind of coming through the screen 
And to get out of the block, Scott slides across the floor and then kind of completely loses control of himself and starts improvising. He does his own steps. He does his own steps. He does non-approved, non-strictly ballroom steps. He does flashy, crowd-pleasing steps. Oh, no. And as Liz tells us in her face-to-face, where the man goes, the lady must follow. She has no choice. She has no choice. And she hates it. She hates it, what's happening. Gia Caridis is amazing in this role. Her, She is so good. You really see on her face there the the the, the conflict of I've got to put on my fake smile yeah. and continue to perform yeah. and I'm going to murder you and this is over. And She's fantastic. This is the part where our fave Shirley ponders, Did I fail him as a mother? <laughs> as a dramatic person myself. Yeah. I can I can imagine myself kind of feeling something like that over something completely mm. minor with my children. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's normal or not, but I can I can kind of relate whether I would say it to a camera crew. Yeah, but um, she delivers it with full conviction. It is so we know it's so dramatic and over the top and ridiculous, but she delivers that line. Yeah, because totally she can, straight. She can see that this is going to affect Scott being able to win championships and how Scott's looked at within the ballroom community and mm-hmm. it's devastating for her because you can see that that family, their whole life is ballroom dancing. The yes. mum, the dad, her, his little sister, Scott, it's all it, – their whole life revolves around teaching and doing competitions. Yeah, it's their, it's their whole community. It's their whole lives. It's been his whole life and you know that she's got – that Shirley has plans for Scott's future mm. – his success and his ability to, to teach and, and be successful in that world yeah. really depends on him not doing flashy crowd-pleasing steps and just losing his head in competition and doing whatever he wants. Yes. It seems to be something that his father yes. once tried to do and I think that kind of is probably a lot of what's behind Shirley's angst about yes. it because she's seen this happen before. She's seen the road that it – what happened when yeah. when that was happening in the past and she doesn't want that her son to go down that same path. Exactly. I think the way that Shirley treats it so seriously, a thing that I really love about this is it's these moments are very funny. But I don't feel like we're we're not laughing at the characters and, and the fact that they take this world very seriously. No. That's the joke isn't on them. Mm. Even though the world is kind of played uh, as so over the top and ridiculous. Yeah. But, yeah, when, whenever really – I think, again, this is some of Pat Thompson's performance. She's she's incredibly sympathetic. Yeah. it's She's, she's not it's one note. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. So then we're at the next day. We, we, we're in the dance hall. People are kind of recovering from the trauma that was the competition the day before. Shirley puts on her happy face. She puts on her happy face, which is something that – which is something that I say – a lot to my business partner when things aren't going <laughs> going right. We say to each other, I've got my happy face on when, when you know, things are going to shit and you're trying to put on a, a performance and yep. you're just like, I've got my happy face on. And this is where um, – so we're at the, the hall. There's normal classes happening. Scott and Liz are there. They're kind of – They're discussing what is going to be yes. one of the main themes of the movie – 
Do we conform to expectations of, of, of what's set out for us or do we actually have artistic expression? That's right. And I think that's a big struggle with a lot of yeah. artists. Do we do what we're told, which is going to lead down a, a, a well-worn path of, mm-hmm. of success or, or do we actually try to create something new and something worthwhile and something that fulfills us? Yeah. Scott is feeling boxed in mm-hmm. by what's available to him and Liz wants to stick with what is known because that will that they will win. win. They will win and it'll work. And this is um, – when we first meet Fran, who's a dorky looking thing, and <laughs> this is such a movie trope it's, too. The oh, whole it is. It's a it's an ugly duckling mm-hmm. story, and um, they've really like played it up to eleven oh, here with yeah, glasses and, and, and her hair, out hair and, and her skin's bad, and I even noticed her voice is very different. Yeah, um, from when we first meet her to. Three, even like three scenes later, I noticed her voice had changed, her hair was neater, Mm. her clothing was better, she was wearing tight tops and nice skirts all of a sudden instead of leggings and oversized t-shirts. It really, it really is a a very clear ugly duckling story happening. Tara Maurice played that role in the original Night of Stage version. Yes. And then they didn't want to cast her in the film because, well, not necessarily Baz, producers didn't want to cast her because okay. she wasn't a dancer but fought for the role. They oh, fought for really? Her was she not a dancer? I always well, assumed that she was a dancer because she's so good in it. And yeah. then she's also been in the great Australian TV show Dance Academy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> as a ballet mistress. Oh. So I assumed well, perhaps she had a dance background. Yeah, not before the movie. Wow! But okay, I would never have guessed that because I thought she she was beautiful. Mm, Yeah, this is where Liz kind of tells Scott that she doesn't want to dance with him anymore, and she does it in. Oh, this is the first time I've watched it and gone, "Oh my god, Liz, who I used to Mm -hmm. think was so glamorous, is such a bogan." Oh yeah, because she literally says to him. I'm not going to dance with you, right? <laughs> and and it's just such the way she says it is just so like, oh my god, yeah. Where yeah. are you from, Liz? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, she's Oka, and I I I love, I love it. That. It just suits it so well. Yeah, this is some of what I loved seeing it for the first time as a kid. Just seeing people who talked like the people we went to school yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly so in this scene we've got Liz who falls over on the resin chips that um that Fran's holding which are like little chips that you throw on the floor and you stomp on and it kind of gives a bit of um grip grip to the floor so yeah. no one slips over so it looks like Fran cuz Fran seems to be at this point the kind of um school's lackey yeah. She's been there a couple of years and she's kind of been there enough to know how to do jobs. So they seem to palm the jobs off to Fran. Yeah. So she's there with her resin chips. They bump into each other. Liz slips. She rips her dress. She goes and composes herself. And there's a bit of an argument where they're like, Well, what do you want, Liz? And she says the famous line What do I want? I'll tell you what I want. I want ten railings to walk in here right now and say Pam Short's broken both her legs and I want to dance with you. 
And then we have this amazing we, – we cut to this shot of that happening. happening. And then Ken Railings walks in and and just with the this amazing moment of, of bathos just says it really flat. Pam Short's broken both her legs and I want to dance with you. <laughs> and it's it's fully lampshaded. Oh, that was unexpected. <laughs> by Scott's little sister doing that. Scott's little sister and her partner oh. are like a Greek chorus through this movie. They're so good. Yeah. They are so, so good. Just popping up and piping and they're, up. They're, yeah, and their little face expressions are always just so well-timed. So then we've got... Liz is happy. She's gotten what she wants. Scott now hasn't got a partner. He's got three weeks to find a partner for the Pan Pacific Championships. Um, everyone goes home. Everyone goes home. Shirley is super stressed. Yeah. Super stressed. Super stressed. Um, we then get the scene that fully revived the Bond singlet, the Chesty Bond yes. singlet in Australia. Choreographed by Paul Mercurio. Wow. Well, yes, he, which makes was, sense. Yeah, this was his first um, big acting role. Previously, he was a professional dancer yes. in Sydney Dance Company. Yes. Yeah. And he went to the same ballet school as Stephen Heathcote. I'm, I've, I've kind of seen something about. I haven't double-checked that in a long time, but, but I think they were at the same ballet school around the same time okay, as that, well. I mean, age-wise, that yeah. checks out. So, yeah, good, great dancer. And, so, and it's such a... Oh, it's such an amazing scene. But he gets he's being spied on by Fran who startles him saying, Oh, that looks good kind of thing. <laughs> it's just so it's just a classic. It's just Yeah. Every, it's, that's what I mean. Everything is so classic and Australian where, where that's how Australians are. Like we just yes. watch something and you kind of like creepily there and then just kind of go, Wow, that's good and they like, yeah, the other person's shitless because they don't know you're there. No, you ha- and you have these moments of, you know, artistic expression is happening. He's thinking about what does he want to do? How does he break out of the expectations of his community and actually have an exciting experience as an artist? And then, you know, someone's popped up and's like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Oh, uh, that's... Yeah, well, that's looking good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's looking good. Uh, what are you doing here? Oh, I, I, I just... How long have you been here? Two years. So that's when Fran kind of convinces Scott to let her try out to be his partner and he gives her an hour to to show him what she can do. Um, and he's very dismissive at the start. Yeah. He didn't actually – he'd never bothered to learn her name. She's been there long enough that he should. Yes. Uh, he's never paid attention to the beginners mm. is what that says. Yeah. But towards obviously towards the end of that hour he sees something – in her and they continue over the next couple of weeks. We get a montage. We get a great montage of him trying out other other people, to partners to dance with. <laughs> um, that's not really working out. He, they're not, you know, they're not good enough, which is really stressing Shirley out to the max. It's intercut with more montage moments of Fran and Scott rehearsing. rehearsing. We get yes. the beautiful shots on the roof of the school. That's right. And then we get the beautiful moment of the time after time, mm. which I actually think is sung by, by Tara Maurice. Yes. Yeah, she sings the female part in that yeah, cover. Yeah, which is amazing. She's yeah. such a talent. Well, she went to NIDA. So yeah. for those who don't know, NIDA is the Australian version of Juilliard. Yeah, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts. Yeah, it's so the, it's the place to yeah. go. That all happens and then – we oh, can I talk just about the roof though oh, yes. for a second? Just because it's it's beautiful again, something I'd never really I'd never seen anything like that in an Australian film. Yes. With 
Bilo in the background. Bilo. Uh, Does Bilo still exist? No, it's a budget chain of supermarkets that was around, I think, in the 80s, 90s, maybe into the early 2000s. Yeah, it was. I remember going there when I'd moved out of home. So it was definitely around in the early 2000s. And I think bought by the Coles Meyer Group and then just sort of got got absorbed into um, different labels in their their conglomerate. But yes, the big Bilo lit up in the background. And the hills, I, actually looking at it, I think there might be two hills hoists on that oh, roof. Oh, okay. Intercut also with our first real look at what Barry Otto's character, the dad. Yes, Doug. Doug. Doing yeah. his own steps. Now, I don't, I, was, I don't think we've even really heard him speak at this point he in time. very little. He and says very little the whole film. His whole kind of part in the film is basically movement and facial expressions a lot of the time. Mm. And it's not really until later in the film that we actually discover why. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we see him. He is dancing up a storm in the hall while um, Scott and Fran are on the roof. And we can kind of get a glimpse of his crazy dance moves and, and it's our first kind of clue of, okay, maybe this is where Scott gets it from. Yeah. So then we go to it's not the Pan Pacific's I think it's the states, um, yeah, it's the state competition, um, where Scott has agreed to let Fran try out for Les, who's the the owner of their dance school, to try out to be his his dance partner. They're going to do it at the state competition. Yes, he hasn't told he's told everyone he's got a partner. Yes, he hasn't told them who it is. Yes, so. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. And this causes a little bit of confusion when there's Barry comes up and kind of has told Les that he's got this plan that he wants Scott to dance, be partners with Tina Sparkles, whose partner Nathan Stark, Stark, Nathan Starkey. Nathan Starkey. I love the names. I know the names great are names. so good. Or like all of them are so good. So Nathan Starkey is retiring. Yes. So he Tina needs to focus on his, his landscape gardening. <laughs> yes. Business. They've all. I love that they've all got real jobs. Like you've got you've got a landscape gardener in there. You've got Ken Sparama. You've got a hairdresser in there. You've got a couple of guys that are mechanics. Mm. Everyone seems to have real jobs. Real working class jobs too. Yes. Or small businesses that you can work around having a. Have, needing a lot of time for your for your dance career. Yeah, love it. So Tina needs a new partner. Barry Fife, head of the federation, thinks that they will be a good match. So that's kind of just been told. This is what's going to happen, and everyone gets excited because they think, "Oh, this is this Scott's is who's Scott? Yeah, this is Scott's trialing his new partner. It's going to be Tina Sparkles. This is big. It's huge, and it's such a great scene where they're all going, "Oh!" And then no one says her name, and they're they're telling Fran's there, and they're saying, "Isn't it wonderful, Fran? We're so happy." And Fran's thinking they're actually accepting that that she's going to be dancing with Scott and everyone seems really happy and no, it's mm. not the case. Then someone comes up and says, oh, I think it's Shirley says, my son dancing with someone like Tina Sparkles and she's, Fran's devastated Fran's and crushed. runs off, which then makes Scott follow, which then it's like a little, 
it's, it's that chase kind of thing happening yeah. where we all run through the same part of the RSL where um, well, I'm assuming it's an RSL because Me. we run through the pokies yes. um, to, to find where Fran and Scott could possibly be. And again, you get that juxtaposition of all of the conversations about Tina Sparkle and when we meet her for the first time in that in the pokies, in that like commercial, harshly lit area versus the beauty of backstage, mm. artistic expression. Yes. The, well, we first met curtains. Tina. Well, we're kind of Tina and Nathan are dancing at mm. this point. And so we kind of our first interaction with Tina is when she comes back off stage and Scott and Fran, Scott's caught up with Fran and they're having a moment of, I didn't know that that was going to be the plan. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, it's Tina Sparkles. Yeah. You know, I, she's a champion. Yeah. And it's that kind of str- – you can see him then, again, struggling between Fran lets me dance the way I want to dance and she's – we dance well together. But if but I dance if with, I Tina, dance with Sparkles, Tina Sparkles, I could win. Yeah. But they start kind of having a little dance and that's when everyone kind of spying eyes watches and are all a little bit outraged that he's dancing with a beginner. They are so they be, they're so betrayed. Mm. How dare he? Yes. And Fran falls, and that's when Tina Sparkles comes off stage, and then everyone kind of tries to go, "Oh, she's no one," and "Oh, who's Fran?" And then Tina's like, well, "The girl that fell." Like, and he's all kind <laughs> of confused as to what? Why is everyone being so weird? Why is everyone like this? So Tina Sparkles and um, Nathan Starkey are quite prominent in Australian television yes. now even like um Sonia Kruger who plays Tina Sparkles is quite a famous morning show host mm. and and Todd McKinney's quite well known in Australia still yep. and I can performing tell you, in musical theatre yeah, he was the, he, he was the original boy from Oz yes seeing Todd <laughs> the other night I was like oh my god he looks so young yeah. You just forget how, like, it was almost 30, 30 years, years ago. ago. So, of course, he's going to look younger. Not saying he looks bad now. He still he oh, still no. looks amazing now. Yeah. But, wow, they were so young yeah. and, be- like, and you forget. Young and gorgeous. I think, too, you forget because they are hosts of things now. You forget just how talented they were because the, yeah. the moves they're pulling off are amazing. Yeah, this is where the film's really grabbed two of the best dancers in Australia at that time, mm. put them in costumes that, that very much tell you, no, 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 these are the stars yes. of this um, this art. Yes. And and then they do some incredible moves and really show you and what it's all about. And basically skyrocketed them off a television career. Oh, yeah, they're both well. really quite famous and successful in Australia now off that role. Yes. This definitely. film made a lot of careers. Oh, uh, yes. So we're back... Fran gets told that she needs to to go home. Now, we've seen them walk home. He's walked her home before, I think, when yes. they've been rehearsing. And so he's he knows that, like, she lives in a milk bar. That's yep. her family's business. They live right near a train track. They look like they actually live next to the SCG or something. There's, like, a massive stadium there, oh, I noticed wow. the other day as well. Like, so they're... And look, she must... It's not prime real estate. And that was actually no. a set built for yes, the film. it was pr- the most expensive set as well because of the location they had to build it. But I do wonder if the the theme of 
artistic expression versus commercial success. I wonder how strong that was a theme in the movie before they had so much trouble actually getting the funding in place. Yeah. I wonder if that came out more in later drafts or, or maybe, in the edit. Maybe. I don't, I don't know because it is something that is really in the artistic world. That yeah. is a common theme because it's also like how do you drive any kind of art form forward if you never do anything different? True. You know, it all, it all would stay very stagnant. Even like – I go to ballet because that's what I know. But even ballet's progressed through the years as it has to. As it has to or it'll just wilt and die as an art form if you just keep repeating the same things over and over. But look at – particularly look at Hollywood. If you look over the last 30 years, more and more successful films or or just more and more films are made based on other source material Mm. or they are based – they are sequels of existing – or remakes yes. of existing properties because there's so much money involved and people are very risk-averse when it comes to mm. that money. Yeah. It's really hard to get new, exciting projects with fresh talent, like a first-time director. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard no to one get wants that funded. To, no one wants to bet their money on it. Cap. Yeah. So Scott takes runs after Fran. I, I feel like she mustn't live very far away from where – the um everything's taking place in yeah, like a two kilometer radius in this yeah in this it must movie. be really really close because she wasn't going to be allowed out so this made me kind of think well how young are these characters well and that was another issue with the casting of Paul Mercurio he was twenty eight at the time and as written the character is supposed to be eighteen Scott is eighteen eighteen okay and he definitely I don't think Paul Mercurio feels too old. No. If you're pitching the character at around like 21, 22. He yeah, I, feel felt, I felt he was um, 23 because there's one yeah. point where Shirley says there's some kind of line. Oh, Shirley and Doug have been together for 25 years. Yeah. And so in my head I kind of did a little bit of maths and went, okay, maybe he's 23, 22. Yeah. And then I thought – and Fran seems a little bit – younger maybe she's around the 18 year old mark and 18 to 20 they're not yeah. at school but they're not much past it yeah okay that feels well, that right makes, yeah that kind of makes sense to me um because her father still has quite a, a he's strict yeah and he says to her the night before tomorrow night you stay home I've got a fiesta on you're staying home and then so the night and she was just kind of a bit like, oh, but we've got states tomorrow and it's a big yeah. deal. And he was like, nah, you stay home. And so the next night for the state championships where all of this drama has has just exploded. Fran has snuck out. Fran snuck out and she said to her nonna, oh, Yaya, which was confusing because Yaya is Greek. Yes. She's Spanish. She's definitely Spanish. <laughs> Can that's I just always Google? it's always been a bit of a confusion for me, like because they're they're definitely Spanish. What do maybe 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 in Spain they say yeah yeah. I've kind of got the vibe that that's her mother's mum. That would make sense. And maybe it was Greek. she's they were Greek, and she might be. Um, she's got a Spanish dad and a gr- and, she and had a Greek, Greek mother. Maybe possibly, who knows? Who knows what Francesca's heritage is so Antonio Vargas is a flamenco 
maestro. Yeah. Um, I don't as, as well as his acting role, he's credited as, in the yeah. film as the flamenco coach. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. She tells Yaya, "I'll only be an hour," which is she knows is bullshit, but. Yeah, and, and, and her, an hour is, is yeah, yeah, knows it's bullshit yeah, too. I know. But an hour to even kind of feel that a, a an hour might even sound kind of okay. Realistic. You've got to be pretty damn close to oh, that yeah. location, yeah. and then to do a dance competition, and then get back home. It's the it's movie magic though. It, it is movie travel magic. time is never really calculated. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So we're back at the um, milk bar. Scott kind of gets there just as Fran get, and he. This is the other thing that makes me think that that he's very close. He ran. Yeah, looks like he ran the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> from the location, he's basically, which I'm reckoning, I'm thinking is around the corner. He ran. Maybe it was at that arena. Maybe it was at the. <laughs> Maybe. But, yeah, he's basically run the whole way there, which I hope was yes. only like 500 metres. And she's really like, what What about a life lived in fear and all of that stuff? Yeah, one of the, the great quotes that she teaches him in Spanish, a life lived in fear is a, a life, life half lived. lived. Yeah, so she's really going off at him at this point and then she bumps some trash cans. Oh, no, because that makes her dad, who obviously hadn't realised that she was missing at this point, and he was having a full party in the backyard. All of the you have to stay home and cook and help with the fiesta. She's like not been there and he has not noticed. <laughs> yeah. So he comes out and he's like, oh, what are you doing out here so late? And she's like, oh, he's just my dance partner. You dance the paso doble? Yeah. So. So. He then makes them dance the paso doble. Because he knows it's a lie. Yeah. And they're terrible. Yeah, they're well. Well, I don't know if they're terrible. They're dancing a ballroom yeah. version of the Paso Doble, which okay, is to be fair, completely different yeah. to an actual traditional way that a, a man who has trained in flamenco yeah. would dance the Paso Doble. Yeah, they're not doing flamenco. And considering we've never seen them rehearse these, actually, I should take that back. Like, they're fine. Yeah. It's not flamenco. Also, and everyone laughs at them. Yeah, but also the guy playing the guitar plays a completely different speed and a completely different song for their version of the Paso Doble to what they then get the father to dance to. I think because that guy also knew, <laughs> no, then they're not doing flamenco. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. He knows. So it's then that we, we get Yaya comes up to, to Scott Hastings and rips open his shirt and tells him to feel the rhythm and does the beautiful. Where, where do you feel it? He's like, he feels it in his feet. And she's, she's like, like no, no, I'm just going to pat your chest. Yeah. And say, ooh, nice body. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm, I'm going to really increase Bond stocks. Yes. And she gets him to feel the rhythm. In his chest. Now, for someone, I, I've only done, I've touched on flamenco dancing yes. in my life. Um, I did a three-day workshop. Our, our dance school was lucky enough to have a beautiful flamenco dancer, Laura from Flamenco Dance Melbourne that's in Caulfield South. Oh, so cool. if anyone wants to go and learn some flamenco dancing, go and see Laura. It's hard. Now, the movements aren't that hard. If you've done some kind of dancing training, the rhythm is hard. Mm. The compass is hard because it's different. If you've done dancing in your life, it's not your normal one, two, three, four, five, ah, six, seven, it's eight. A different time or your signature. waltz. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's in its completely own. 
kind of thing. Wow. It's I think it's it's done on twelves. And you start going 12, 1, 2, 3. And it, you've got to hit different um, beat strengths on different numbers so than what you would be usually – what you're used to kind of doing if you're a dancer. Yeah. So it is – it does take a little bit to kind of get it into your mind. And I de- it's been – over a year since I've done it and I definitely by day three I was getting I got it and it was it was good and it was in me but it's been such a long time now that I couldn't just do it now yeah it's hard it's beautiful it's so beautiful it's It's so beautiful and also can I just say that we were lucky enough that Laura who came out to teach us was trained by Antonio Vargas Fran's dad He's so So that's good. our connection. He's amazing. He's also, Can I tell you, he choreographed some stuff for Tom Cruise for Mission Impossible 2. Really? So wait till I tell my husband who loves Tom Cruise. Not, oh. not the person, the movies. Um, <laughs> he always says that to me. Don't love him and his beliefs. Love his movies. But I'm, I'm excited to let my husband know that we have a vague Kevin Bacon seven yes. degrees <laughs> <laughs> separation from Tom Cruise through. Yep. Flamenco dancing. Antonio Vargas also wore all of his own clothes as yeah. his costumes. Which Well, that would be easy, I can imagine. He's got amazing yes. flamenco costumes. And you can see they are perfectly tailored. It's a really different style too where mm-hmm. um, the, the men's, and this is very much of its era, the ballroom men's pants are quite boxy and baggy, whereas mm-hmm. your flamenco... They're tight. Yeah. Like they are around the hips and, and waist. They're very high waisted. Yeah, well, you've got to see They're those. You've got to see those subtle hip movements oh, and yeah. things. Like it's all – that's all part of the art form. Yeah. It all works out at the fiesta. Um, Scott wins him over and they kind of decide, yeah, okay, we're going to train you. The most expensive shots in the movie were – in this scene. Yeah, I can imagine the train. The train. Because they had to hire a train to go past twice so they could get those shots. I but did wonder. Beautiful. I did wonder if that was just something that kind of happened or whether that was something that they, they no, that organised. Was, they organised. Because I could, see, I could see both because yeah. it was a lower budget movie that it mm. might have just been like, keep going, a train's coming, keep going yeah, <laughs> kind of totally. thing. We're just going to catch it and see what it looks like. So, and then Scott goes home after the fiesta and it's like, I think it's like two in the morning. We see a clock and I feel like it's two. I didn't write it down, so I could be really wrong. But I feel like it's two in the morning and Shirley's waiting up for him and she says something that is great and also confuses me. She tells him, have you eaten? There's chops in the fridge. (laughs) Now. Sorry, that is one of the most Australian sentences (laughs) in an extremely... Oz movie. Oh, it is. It's chops. It's one of the most white. Especially in the 90s. One like, of the most white Australian things I've ever heard. Yes. I don't think chops are as co- as common these days. They're lamb a bit more is, expensive. Lamb is heaps more expensive. But in the 90s, we were all having chops it weekly. Was, it, was pretty che- it was pretty cheap meat back well, then. Well, yeah, w- white families. It was, yeah. still, it was still kind of – we were still in the era that most of the time you were having meat and three veg yeah. thrown in with a little bit of um, flavour from – a bit of multicultural food thrown in, but not or maybe not, a may- jar of Canton or chicken. Yes, tonight. yeah. This was this was the nineties. Oh we were learning. We weren't we weren't great at it yet. We didn't know any better. We do now. Oh my! Those sauces are so sweet. There's so much sugar in them. Oh, I know. Disgusting. I can't eat them no, with all of so my gross. my stomach issues. There's yeah. it's, there's no hope. I cook everything from scratch. I've got to know everything that goes in my meals. That said. 
if you go to the Asian grocer, you can just buy a bag of MSG. Oh. I'm going to do it. I don't have I don't have any, but every time I go to the Asian grocer and see a big sack of MSG, I'm like, next time. Next time I'm just going to buy the MSG, put it in everything. Okay, so she says there's chops in the, the, the fridge. And, you know, that's great. She, it shows that she's a caring mum. She's concerned whether she's he's eaten. I don't know. But, I think it's a pretty passive-aggressive statement. But, yeah, true. But my my big thing is you've been in a dance competition kind of thing. Well, why are you cooking chops for dinner? Like has she made these chops for dinner for the whole family and there's leftovers for Scott? Or has she kind of come home and in a panic – with him not being home, worried about him eating and cooked chops and put them in the fridge. Or passive-aggressively cooked the chops knowing that he wasn't there and she didn't know when he would be back so that she could throw it in his – I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's Shirley though. They might just be leftovers from the night before. Maybe. Maybe. But it really made me kind of go, you've been at a dance competition all night. Why are there chops in the fridge? Who came home and cooked chops? I just found it really – Really funny. Yeah. That happens. That's when we find out that um, Shirley and Doug have been together for a long time. Uh, I think it's in the next scene that that Liz – we're back at the hall and Liz busts in and says one of the great Australian lines in in her most bogan voice just saying, Ken dropped me. Oh, yeah. Um, Love it. Love it. Not like – oh. Just the way she says it, it's just – it's so 90s as well because, like, if you had a boyfriend, you didn't break up. You got dropped. Yep. Um, so we go into this whole kind of um, – I think it's it's Barry Fife turns up at the, the dance hall actually. Yes. To talk to Scott and kind of convince him to dance to dance with Liz again because she's been dropped by Ken Railings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of starts to devol- divulge this um, – family secret that we get to see play out in a really camp yes. um, kind of – It's very cartoony and, and like yes. extremely stylized and heightened version of the story. The story, yeah. Which is I think part of the hint of do we really trust Barry's yeah. telling of the story? Do we believe this? It doesn't look real. It's But this is where we get to see Barry Otto really busted out as – Doug Hastings, ballroom superstar and ladies' man. Yes. Man about town. Yeah. Oh, the little, like, the growls and the – Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's all very so good. It's, so I just, it's just so camp, the whole yeah. the whole thing. And they, they've got heaps of makeup on and it kind of tells the story of, you know, Doug, Barry and Les were all best mates. I love in the bit where we see that that um, – Bill Hunter is like cannot dance. No, not for, not for anything. No, and we don't even address that. No, no, <laughs> we don't need to be thinking too no. hard about that. But um, it kind of comes that they're best mates and that they, you know, we're all in it to win it and loving life. And then Doug goes crazy, wanting to dance his his own steps, and it ruins his life. They lose. The, he and Shirley enter and lose the Pan Pacifics. He has a breakdown. He claws his way back to some semblance of being able to cope. But all his hopes now lie in Scott winning the Pan Pacifics for his father. 
win that competition that his parents were never able to because he because he's repeating the mistakes of his father. Yeah. Barry's very convincing. Yeah, he is. And then he, he, it's kind of a little bit confusing though as well because he's saying he didn't win but then he hands him like a ribbon saying that they did. Well, that they've won they've something. They've won something in, as in evidence 60, that, that he's dad. 67 or 60, I can't even remember. Yeah, 1967 that they'd won a championship then. Um. And then Scott goes down and breaks into um, Doug's little room. He's got he's got a little storage room that's got all of his photos and memorabilia, and he sees that they they were champions. And I don't know mm. whether that kind of it sells it, although it also shows that Barry has been lying about some things because Barry says that Doug didn't keep anything, and we yeah, already we know, know that, that Doug, Doug has kept a lot of memorabilia. Yeah, and Scott would know that about his his dad because he's constantly filming mm. and he's um, – His little Super 8 yeah, camera. Yeah, he's constantly keeping memories and things. So it wouldn't – it doesn't go with his character that he would get rid of all of that stuff. You know what that flashback scene – it's like a really twisted version of like a Gene Kelly dream ballet. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah, much more cartoon. It reminds me of um, like the Flintstones movies for some yes. reason. Like just hyper stylized. Yeah, and animal print and yeah. full on hair. and Because where do you go when the movie has already kind of turned everything up to 11? Yes. You've, you've just got to go complete lack of realism. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. It's, it's unrealistic. So we fast forward no, and. I need to ask you a question. Oh, yes. When Scott's going through the his dad's cupboard and he pulls out a photo album. Yes, we've we've had we've got Thank that you. photo album. I just wanted to check if we also had <laughs> the exact same um, photo album with a budgie on the cover because yes. I was pretty sure we did. Yes. Thanks. Yes, we do did have that photo album. That's we're why we relate so bogans. well to this. We're we're such that white family from the night, that nuclear white family from the nineties yeah. from the suburbs. Yep. Even though we're from the Melbourne suburbs, they were in Sydney, but. Same, I same. Think they shot around Marrickville, which has always struck me as kind of the Coburg of Sydney. Yeah. 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 So we fast forward and we're at the Pan Pacific and Championships. Beautiful, the spinning shot into the dance spinning. Like, oh, yeah, it's just that amazing. Has Lerman finding his visual style and his visual voice as a director here is. Yeah, it's pretty great, yeah. isn't it? So, so first time director. Oh, he's, he's done so very well. Very good. Yeah. Well, that's why all of his, like, a lot of his movies are in my top mm. movies. And they're extremely successful. And as I know far he doesn't Australian resonate with, a, with everyone, but his style really kind of, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's really up there for me. I really get it and I love it. So Scott and Liz are back together. They're. And Fran finally cracks it. Yes. Sorry. They're dancing. The, so. Scott and Liz are back together. They're dancing the waltz. Tina is with Ken Railings and Ken is drunk. As we could see coming, he's always got a flask on him drinking. Yep. But he is the drunkest we've seen. Ken dancing. Liz had said it. Was it Liz who said that yeah. it was like dancing in, in a brewery? brewery. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're dancing. They've done their waltz. It's beautiful. Fran is then back in Beginners and she's dancing in Beginners with her female partner that she's got um the federation's really happy that everything seems to be going to plan yes because there is a plan so scott's there fran's dancing in the beginners and scott's standing there watching um because they have 
Yeah, there's a connection. They've kissed. They're, fa- they're, they're falling like, in love. Yeah. And you know, then he stuffed it up. Yes. By dancing with Liz. That's so, you know. Yeah. But he's still got feelings. That's right. He he loves her. So he's watching her. Um, this is where Doug is really trying to um, say to Scott, Scotty, can I bend your ear? Yeah. Where I feel like Doug really wants to go, you know, you should be dancing the way you want to dance and yeah. to make yourself happy. And if that's dancing with Fran, well, this is what I feel he would say, if that if dancing with Fran is what you want to do, do that. Yeah, Doug is trying to tell his story to Scott his way. Yeah, he's trying he's, – and I think he's also like trying to let him know the truth of yes what's, what's happening. Because we've been told what Doug's regrets are by Barry Fife. We haven't been told by Doug yet. That's right. So when Fran comes off, that's when she um, confronts Scott. There's a bit of an altercation. She really cracks it. It's great. And calls him a a gutless wonder. Such an Australian insult. And we never actually find out Fran's surname, but we get a hint of it here when she talks about being mocked as Fran Japani della Squeegee Mop, which sounds – which is – such an Australian sounding piece of racism. Yes. Definitely. And so and this is where um we we kind of see then that, that Vanessa and Wayne, who are our they're originally the purple and green couple, but yes. for some reason now they're blue and yellow. Now I don't know why they changed their colours. I don't I've got a theory though. I've got a theory that they're purple and green the whole way through and I feel that's because they're a little bit resentful of Scott. They're the couple kind of underneath Scott and Liz, um, even though they're friends and he feels like Scott's not helping Wayne out with his Bogo Pogo step when he wants help and he feels a little bit brushed off. And then we come to the pan packs and they're in a different colour and all of a sudden I feel like They've changed a little bit. Their dynamics changed. They're really willing to help Scott yeah. and and fight for what's right all of a sudden. Yep. Because they find out Barry Fife has fixed the results. He sure has. Vanessa and Wayne hear Fife telling Ken and Tina that they've got it in the bag. He just has to get out there and pretty much stay upright. Which is going to be a challenge, Ken <laughs> is saying. Yeah, because Tina's having to hold his, his head up. Yeah. Um, that they, They've won. They've yeah. pretty much won. No matter what they do, they've pretty much won it. So Wayne and Vanessa, at this point, they've actually missed their call out for the Latin finals. Like the, their names have been called um, and they don't go. And you hear them say, this is the last call for Wayne and Vanessa couple I can't remember what couple number they are and they 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 choose not to go because they're they need to go and speak to Les about what they've just heard and while this is happening too we hear that Scott and Liz are getting called couple number 100 are getting called to the floor as well and Scott's not there he's busy talking to Fran on the roof and and getting ready because they're like they've decided he's going to dance with Fran yep and Doug is there and we finally find out what Doug's real regret is. Fear. They were so afraid. Yes. And then it all clicks. A life, a life lived, lived in, in fear. fear is a life half lived. So it all clicks. He goes up to find Fran. She's just there leaving. Yaya has bought the dress just in case. 
Gia Caridi, sorry, is like she's so good at screaming. She is the best at screaming. She's there at the, the bit where she's there waiting for Scott to show up and he decides to run off. Yes. And she's just screaming her lungs I out. Know, just screaming Scott. So good. And because and then the music starts and she's left there without a partner. Yeah. It's pretty rough. It is rough, but yeah. She's not our she look, as much as we We've got feelings towards Liz. She's not our favourite. We're more concerned that Scott's gone off to dance with, with Fran. We're not yeah. overly concerned that that Liz isn't getting danced with. <laughs> so the music starts and that's when Scott runs off to find Fran and the grand, grandmother, the Yaya, has bought the dress. Um, we can make it happen even if it's not an official dance. They can get on the floor and show what they've got. That's right. And then about halfway through... This, this final, Scott and Fran enter the floor. Scott sliding on his knees across the floor. That is one of the iconic shots in yes, Australian cinema. Definitely. And it's amazing. always will be. It's amazing. Um, that jacket. This so is good. when Wayne um, steps in and is the real hero because Barry Fife gets up to tell Scott and his partner to leave the floor and Wayne disconnects the microphone. Yep, so the PA's out and then they're trying to disconnect the yeah, music. Yeah, this is Charm. Great Charm. <laughs> um, Charm Leachman, another great <laughs> no. name. Miss Leachman. She's trying to disconnect the music and that's where we've got our favourite dynamic duo, the two littlies in there locking her out of a room so she can't disconnect the music. It's all going. The, the Trophies are getting knocked over. It's all happening. Um, the music finally does get cut. The microphones get bought back on. Barry Fife has lost his toupee um, <laughs> and he tells the couple to Scott leave. Scott Hastings and partner, partner leave the leave floor. Leave the floor. And this is the part that it all comes home. They're standing there. Everyone's kind of looking around going, what do we do? They do a bow. It's beautiful. And then Doug starts the slow clap. And everybody joins in. And then Liz. they recon- Liz reconnects. Liz I know. She reconnects the music. She sees what's going on. She sees the corruption and she is having none of it. Puts and the music back on. I think she really understands at that moment that like she, they were, her and Scott were never going to win. They were never going to be allowed to. Yeah. And she looks so satisfied when she plugs yes. that cable back in. Oh, her facial expressions through the whole thing. She has the best bitch face going around. Gia <laughs> Caridis has done like a lot of dramatic work in Australian film and television since then. Yes. N- nothing like this. No, she's, she's so, so incredible good. in this. She's so, so good. So we get everyone clapping and then they start dancing again and then we get the great scene at the very end where Love is in the Air starts playing and everyone gets on the floor and has a little bit of a bookie. Yep. I say that because I've watched a lot of Dairy Girls and that's how <laughs> that gets said. At one. <laughs> Instead of saying oh, boogie, that she says boogie. So anyway. Um, and you see everyone chaos. dancing together. Like you see Clary dancing with his, his back, dancing with his partner Ken and Tina are dancing. Now, this this is where I kind of think – and Ken does not look drunk at this point. No. So, this is a very candid end of movie moment where everyone's just happy and yeah. dancing and it makes it such a great 
end to the to the night. Doug and Shirley dance together for possibly yes. the first time in 25 years. Yeah, and she's crying. She's proud and happy and can see it all for what it is. I think Les dances with Yaya. Yes, Les and Yaya are dancing together. That's right. There's a few other great couples. Yeah dancing together all of our named cast end up on the floor yeah. it's beautiful and they're all dancing oh, Liz is dancing who's Liz dancing I think with? she's dancing with Fran's dad yeah she is too yeah. yes so it's all yeah it's all great everyone's happy and then that's it that's strictly boring it's that's beautiful. the end how they finish it now that scene that last scene was shot at a real championship um, in the lunch break. Oh, wow. They had one hour to film it. Now, I, I can't imagine that they actually got it all done in one hour. So, I don't know what parts mm. of that final scene yeah. um, and how long they kind of count saying what the final scene is. I imagine um, anything where you've got the audience in the background. Yeah. I've also heard or read that um, as filming kind of went on and people were probably leaving to go, yeah. to, they had to kind of leave their coats there to make it look like the stadium was still <laughs> a little yeah. bit full. But I don't know whether that means that they shot all the dancing within that hour or whether it was just that last scene where everyone was on the floor dancing or whether it was the whole big fight part that we see or... I'm not sure, but an hour, whoo, that would be, you'd be pressed to get oh, all yeah. of that done and all of those angles done. So I can't imagine that that whole last scene only took an hour, but you never wow. know. Small budget filmmaking. That's right. You get it done. Yeah. <laughs> getting this movie funded, getting it to be a movie was kind of a journey. So as you were saying, it was originally staged at NIDA in 84 mm-hmm. and then it was restaged and workshopped and expanded for some bicentennial um, stuff by the Sydney Theatre Company in 88. Okay, yeah. Um, which is when Ted Albert, who was a music publisher and um, record label owner and his wife, whose nickname is Popsy, they saw the play in the 1988 version. Ted loved it and thought immediately with his music publishing connections – he could see it as a film and he knew that he had the kind of connections to get, get the music happening. rights and make it happen. So went via NIDA to track Baz down and proposed developing it as a film. So the initial budget was proposed at $5 million and they could not get funding due to the lack of big names and a couple of times they were almost able to secure funding if they would go with someone who wasn't a first-time director. Okay. So knocked the budget down via rewrites, cut all of that back out again to bring the budget down to, I believe, $3.3 million, Australian $1992. So that's, yeah. you know, in the world of Hollywood, tiny budget. Mm. In the world of Australia, a massive, massive budget. budget. And then the champion of the movie, the exec producer, Ted Albert, dies suddenly, which is terrible uh, for his family, but terrible for, for the, getting the yeah. film made. So his widow, Popsy, decides in his honour that they do want to make this film, um, gets his family company to invest a million dollars, which is most of the remaining yes. budget, and, and a little bit comes from some other private um, some other private investors. But the Alberts complete that funding, 
and get the movie made. Yeah, awesome. Uh, it then screens, and then and then we know what happens. It's super successful. So it screened in Cannes in the um, la, I don't know how jeunesse. to say it. jeunesse. It's the Youth Award. Basically, it's screened in the second competition, and it wins an award basically for like a, a new director and new yeah. filmmakers, which is pretty great. It got a fifteen-minute standing ovation, which then is too. Really impressive. I don't know if I could stand and clap for 15 minutes for anything. So at film, at film <laughs> and festivals. I love this movie. Yeah, they're a bit full on. And I, then I was reading a 2009 um, Victorian film analysis of Australian box office. So in 1992, this movie took uh, $21.7 million, which is wow, really amazing if you've spent about it 3.3. made its budget back yeah <laughs> it did run in um some cinemas for over a year yeah too was, so it was huge here. which is probably how because I was wondering how I got to see it twice at the movies but there was probably time in between oh in reality because yeah. <laughs> I was like oh we're not like we were ones to you know be able to allowed to go to the movies really often it was expensive mm. it's more expensive now but it was ex- still expensive Oh, wow. So that's Strictly Ballroom, everybody. It's a beautiful. Go and watch it again if you've seen it before and haven't seen it for a while. Or mm. if you haven't seen it at all, go and watch it. It's really good. But I don't know why you would listen to this with all the spoilers if <laughs> you haven't seen it. But you never know. I listen to, to um, podcasts and the spoilers. <laughs> I listen to podcasts and hear spoilers all the time. <laughs> So, what are we going to watch next time, Kate? Well, it's your turn. It is my turn. And I've been thinking, you know, the world is a really rough place at the moment. There are a lot of serious problems. Mm -hmm. Don't you just wish that the problems we have could be solved by building a giant robot and having it punch them? We're going to watch Pacific Rim. I've never even heard of it. What? (laughs) Oh, Amy, I... Is this movie good? I'm not even sure. <laughs> I love it a lot. It's very silly. Okay. It Who's is in it? Idris Elba. Oh, wow. It's another movie with great okay. names. So it's not like an old no, movie. No, no, no. This came out, I think, in 2013. Oh, okay. I saw it for the first time. Remember when we went to Singapore on holidays? Yes. A holiday that keeps getting referenced in <laughs> this podcast. Uh, I saw it for the first time at an IMAX in Singapore. Oh, on yeah. that holiday! On that holiday, after what was you, I doing? You had you had missed your flight and then got another flight and flown home. Oh. And on like the last couple of days, I was were you like, there longer? Were was you? there longer? Okay. I was there like a couple extra days? And I saw Pacific Rim, which was fantastic, and the Wolverine movie, which was set in Japan, which was not fantastic, oh. but was in this lovely little cinema. It was oh my god, cinema prices are so much cheaper in Singapore. Singapore's just great. See, I loved Singapore so much and I really want to go back when, you know, borders open up properly. I just want to go to Singapore for a week mm, and go to Hawker Markets too. and eat all the food. Mm. You you can come to Singapore. You're not coming to the Hawker Markets with me. You can't eat I can't food. eat anything, no. But we'll go to Singapore. Yeah. And you can go to Macca's. Yeah. <laughs> I love international McDonald's. They they are all a little bit different. There's just there's slight variations on things. It's always a great experience to go to an international McDonald's. Yes. France is the worst. Oh. Japan is the best. In my experience. Japan is the best. I remember you coming home from oh, Japan. Oh, green tea, thick shakes. Oh, my God. And I have not – it was in 99 that I went yeah. to Japan, but I still talk about 
and crave a green tea thick shake every now and then. I because I had no idea. And, and I'm lactose told, intolerant. When now. you told me about that, I was like, I cannot picture this. And then I went to Japan. Well, no, did I you didn't, have one? They didn't have them, but they had a green tea Oreo McFlurry, Ooh. and I had that, and it was. I still think about that. I'd had green tea ice cream by that point, which yes. I had tried because I re- remember thinking it's just I just so don't fresh get it. and delightful. And then I thought, no, I trust Amy. This is going to be great, and it was. Yeah, I think the yeah. first place that I'll travel to overseas will be um, when everything opens up and we've got a little bit of normality back in our life. Mm. I think will be Japan. I I'm hanging out for Japan and Singapore. Yeah. Because we were planning on doing a, um, a late 2020 trip to Japan yeah. to go to Tokyo Disney and, of course, that never happened. So that's that's where I kind of want to head to mm. when everything opens up. Yeah, I haven't been to Japan in a really long time. It'll happen, guys. Really, really Stay strong. Get vaccinated when you can. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Pacific Rim, Pacific a movie. Pacific Rim, okay. That you had never heard of. No, but I'm excited and to I'm see. And I'm going to... Just let you know how much I've thought about this movie. Have you week. seen it since you've seen it in the cinema? Several times. Okay. Anyway. Awesome. Well, I look forward to watching Pacific Rim. <laughs> I believe it's on Netflix. In okay, Australia. awesome. Awesome. I'll find it. You'll find it. It's pretty great. <laughs> I think. I think it's pretty great. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Remember to like and subscribe and rate and review. And we'll catch you soon. See you soon. Bye.